From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Coming up later this hour, if you're keeping an eye on the economy, and you are, there are a few more signs emerging that it may be time to take off your flip-flops and put on some good rugged work boots and tie them tight, as uh, the footing could get a a, a tad rocky. Uh, But uh, we'll have that for you. Speaking of uh, factors that affect the economy in a fundamental way, let's talk a little energy with Congressman Tom McClintock, who has long represented the 4th District of California in the northern part of the state. The uh, reshuffling of the districts is about to start, and so things will be different soon. But at any rate, uh, Tom joins us now. Congressman, how are you, sir? Just fine, Joe. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I can't remember who it was uh, that said it might have been George Will. It doesn't matter uh, who said the one thing conservatives must always hold to is recognizing what is recognizing what reality is. I mean, maybe we uh-huh. want something or wish for something, but we can't engage in wishful thinking the way we often criticize progressives for. Having said that, I might wish like crazy that we could power America through so-called green energy. I actually do. I think it'd be great. But as a realist, how close are we to being able to run our economy, run our electric grids, et cetera, on windmills and solar and that sort of thing? Well, it's never been a realistic option. That's the basic problem. I mean, there's nothing new about photovoltaics. They were invented in 1839 by a French physicist named Edmond Bescarel. And in, uh, what, 170, 180 years now of technological development, God knows how many trillions of dollars of subsidies, we still have not been able to come up with a more expensive way of producing electricity. Uh, uh, wind and solar have their place where you've got uh, 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 limited options, but we don't have limited options here. We have a cornucopia of cheap energy. The problem is the government is discouraging us 
from developing them and using them. We had achieved something that, that I thought growing up was impossible, growing up in the 70s with the gas lines and everything, American energy independence. We were producing more of uh, petroleum than Russia. We were producing more petroleum than Saudi Arabia. Uh, Joe Biden comes in, uh, declares a war on fossil fuels, uh, cancels the Keystone Pipeline. Today, that should be pumping about 830,000 barrels of crude oil every single day into the American economy. Uh, he uh, stopped oil and gas uh, uh, exploration on federal lands. He just, just this last month, with, with uh, gasoline at record highs, withdrew uh, a million acres uh, from oil exploration in oil-rich Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. So this this is this is crazy, and and it's it's doing enormous harm to our economy. Well, and I think the the battle is against an odd coalition of of different groups: the righteous green earth types who might be misguided, but they're sincere. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of money being made in so-called green energy. Uh, Heritage just wrote a great piece about that the other day. Uh, what do you think is the primary motivation? Oh, there's also you know getting votes that sort of thing, but they're so unrealistic. What do you think the primary motivators are? I don't know. Some people believe it's just become a religion with some people that uh, 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 oil and gas is bad, and we uh, and 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 the sunlight and wind is good. Um, the, the the problem, of course, with that is is simple economics. It just doesn't work. And we're, as a technological matter, it doesn't work. Wind and solar are intermittent um, energy sources. The grid has to be uh, constantly energized or it collapses. So when a solar array stops producing uh, electricity or the wind stops blowing, you've got to have reliable backup power ready to go on that grid immediately. That often means running gas turbines at ready reserve status, ready to switch on the moment the, the, the uh, uh, sun goes behind a cloud or, or the wind falls off, uh, which means you've got to have dual systems uh, in place and operating in order to make this work. And then you need separate transmission lines for the wind and solar uh, as well. So it, it, the, the, the cost is phenomenal. Uh, and the, it, finally, Americans are beginning to feel the full impact of these policies as uh, electricity prices go through the roof. Of course, our, our gasoline prices are at record highs. Uh, and we're now being warned, despite all of this, uh, or actually because all of this, uh, we're looking at... at um, at, at, at rolling blackouts this summer. They can't guarantee enough electricity to keep the, the lights on, and yet they're telling us all to drive around in electric cars. Well, where do they think the electricity for their electric cars comes from? 80% of it is produced by fossil fuels, the very source that they're waging war on. So th- th- this, this policy simply can't go on. Well, I was just going to make the point that any Californian can tell you that the current grid situation which includes a lot of fossil fuels barely barely stays on i mean it gets overloaded easily you take away any significant portion of the fossil fuels and add another say three percent of vehicles that are electric not to mention buses and trucks and that sort of thing i mean we're just we're a million miles from being there yeah and and the damage they're doing to the economy today is astronomical and, and people are starting to feel it now, and I think that's why we're going to see a big shift in policy over the next few years, because people are finally waking up to the impact this is having on their quality of life, on their futures, on their pocketbooks, and that's going to make a big difference. 
You know, I uh, read a recent piece you wrote, too, and I, I, I know you're skeptical about the quote-unquote scientific consensus about uh, what needs to be done about energy policy and when. Well, I, I, it, this, this, the, the excuse they use is, oh, well, there's too much carbon dioxide is causing global warming. But what they can't account for, never have, is, is, well, then why have there been periods throughout paleo history when temperatures have been much higher than they are today and also much lower than they are today? Um, and, and, and the same thing goes for carbon dioxide levels. We're at about 416 parts per million uh, carbon dioxide uh, today. Now, that's way up from what it was at the end of the Ice Age, which was 180, but it's way down from what uh, the average over the past 600 million years has been, which is about 2,600 parts per million. Um, if, if you want to grow um, uh, crops hydroponically, the ideal uh, level is about 1,200 parts per million. We're at about 416. So they've never been able to explain why is that so serious a problem that we have to destroy our economy? The, the planet has been warming and cooling for the last four and a half billion years. It's been warming on and off since the last ice age. It's going to continue to do that whether or not we wreck our economy. Congressman Tom McClintock of Northern California is on the line. And, Tom, I loved something you wrote in that same piece, and it's something Jack and I have been hammering throughout covid the science, as if science is one thing, which is the one thing science isn't is one thing. It's supposed to be independent people working as hard as they can to prove whether things are right or not, as opposed to one monolithic view. But if, if you believe the quote-unquote scientific consensus about uh, climate change and what ought to be done about it, you've ignored everything that happened during COVID. Would you like to elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it's simply making the point that um, uh, you know the the experts uh, were all wrong. Um, uh, they 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 quashed debate within the, the medical community. They they ridiculed and censored and fired anybody who dissented from them. There was a there was a huge debate within the medical community uh, over the measures that they were imposing, but they suppressed that debate. Um, uh, and the result was we now see study after study. Uh, that report that the, the lockdowns and mask mandates had uh, the school closures, the home detention orders, the business closures, all of those had virtually no impact on the spread of the virus, but they did enormous damage to the economy. They, they crippled our children uh, in, in ways we're still coming to understand. Uh, they cost untold lives due to, to su- increase in suicides, drug and alcohol, uh, and alcohol uh, overdoses, delayed health screenings and treatments, poverty-related deaths. They were simply wrong. There is also a great debate going on within the scientific community uh, over the uh, impact of carbon dioxide and global warming and how serious a threat that really is. But that's also being suppressed in exactly the same manner as we saw the suppression over the COVID-19 uh, measures. Um, that's not science. You know, what, what is, science thrives on open debate. It welcomes questions uh, uh, and, and counterfacts. Um, uh, when you hear somebody say, oh, the debate is over, that's not a scientist talking. That's a politician. 
Right, and and both politicians and journalists and scientists have a way, and COVID illustrated this all too clearly, of fixating on one thing to the exclusion of all others. And uh, that's the opposite of leadership. You've got to weigh all the, the balances. Can you imagine a scientist saying, now I put out this paper, but the one thing I refuse to permit is any of my peers to review it. I mean, they'd be hooted out of, you know, whatever scientific community they were in, and yet... Like you say, that's kind of been enforced now with the climate change thing. Yeah, and and again, that is that's not science. That is the opposite of science. And you know, there, there was a British Prime Minister, uh, Lord Salisbury, back in the middle of the 19th century, who issued that warning. He said, "There's nothing more dangerous than listening to uh, uh, experts to the exclusion of, of of all other considerations." He said, "You know, to 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 uh, every theologian, the world's full of sin. To to every soldier, the world's full of danger." Of, uh, he said, "You've got to uh, the, the role of policymakers is to listen to the broad range of experts and then exercise what he said a little was a little insipid common sense uh, uh, over the the advice of experts, and that's what our politicians, I think, have failed to do in many cases." Congressman Tom McClintock, excellent point, well made, Tom. We appreciate the time. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's all I ask. I'm, I'm I'm what would I call myself? Agnostic, a moderate? I don't know. Reasonable, reasonable. Imagine that, like uh, to, to Tom from that uh, fabulous quote: "Some uh, common man's common sense." I'm for cleaner energy. I'm for understanding what's happening to the climate and that sort of thing. But don't, you know, don't load up the wife and the three kids and the dog in the family truckster. Announce you're going to drive cross-country to, I don't know, Cape Cod, um, and say, but instead of a gasoline engine, we have two hamsters under the hood, and they're going to run on this wheel. I mean, because the hamsters can certainly run on the wheel, and they can generate a bit of power, but it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the power necessary to get the family truckster to Cape Cod. And how often do you hear somebody say this? The the state of energy in this country and the electrical grid is in the same place. Well, all right, maybe it's not two hamsters. Maybe it's a, a couple of robust squirrels. But we are nowhere near being able to produce enough electrical power specifically to power what we're doing now. Again, never mind if we have another 5 million electric cars on the road. So just for goodness sakes, let's be realistic about it. But there's a lot of money, a lot of it, in the climate change industrial complex. We'll tell you more about that coming up. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, what happened with the Supreme Court decision this week is that abortions in the state of South Dakota immediately became illegal unless it was to save the life of a mother. Uh, And so that was in place uh, as soon as that decision was made. And what I believe will happen is that if we do go into a special session, that there'll be debate around how we can support these mothers. So that's Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, who is a cute on Face the Nation talking about the change in abortion laws state to state. Uh, you know, why don't we just go ahead and let her set up the next kind of subtopic? Uh, 41, Michael. 
But what is happening here is incredibly important and precedent setting. This is a federally approved drug. Are you saying the state of South Dakota is now going to overrule the FDA and decide which drugs are going to be available to its residents? And many of those decisions are made at the state level. They absolutely are. That's what states do. Will you stop? Uh, you know, if it's sent in mail, will you intercede and stop it from being received? There's certain protections that are guarded under the Constitution of the United States. The rest of these items are left to the states. The Tenth Amendment guarantees us that. What the Supreme Court said was that the Constitution does not give a woman the right to have an abortion. That right. means that at each state, they will make the decision how they handle these situations. Exactly. And In South Dakota, we've already had a bill pass mm -hmm. that said on telemedicine abortions that we don't believe it should be available uh, because it is a dangerous situation for those individuals uh, without being medically supervised by a physician. Okay. So on that topic, you know, because there's so much harem scarum going on. Uh, boogity boogity trying to scare people into contributing and voting about what's going to happen. Uh, some of the possibilities they mention are women being prosecuted for crossing state lines or for leaving their state to get an abortion in another state. That is never going to happen. Never. There's no constituency for that, even on the Republican side, or at least not enough to matter. And the idea of banning the so-called morning-after pill, if it's a federally approved drug, somehow saying you're not going to let it into your state, the logistics of which would be mind-boggling. I mean, what, what are you going to do, open every envelope? Um, that's not going to happen. It just can't. Logistically, it can't. I, I'm a little, well, both Christy Noem and a lot of other uh, Republican governors don't know quite how to answer that question at this point because it's all so in flux. But I'm telling you, there's no way there are states where you just can't get the morning after pill. I can go get you two pounds of fentanyl if you give me an hour and a half. I mean, I don't know where to go or who to ask, but I'm sure I could go down to the local junkie camp and, and puzzle it out. So, again, that stuff I just think is is trying to scare people. Uh, but we are absolutely without question getting into a period of... um uncertainty and wrestling in state legislatures and governor's offices and lower courts and the rest of it uh, for, for quite a while. You know, I mentioned this before. It's like when you lose, when you leave rather a job that you know is no good. It had no future uh, and it's toxic, whatever. That period after you leave it, unless you're lucky enough to have something really great lined up and maybe it's a romantic partner, that sort of thing. You break up knowing I can't do this anymore. You will begin a period of uncertainty and stress and trying various things that may or may not work. But that doesn't mean you should have stuck with the old thing. That's just, that's life. And Roe v. Wade was a weak decision. It was a bad decision. Uh, but that's not to say the road ahead ain't going to be rocky. Speaking of rocky roads, which uh, is also uh, certainly in my top three favorite kinds of ice cream. Ever since I was a little lad, rocky road with the marshmallows and the nuts. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and the chocolatey chocolate, Michael. So good. Many were the summers on the Jersey Shore where my little face would be chocolate smeared with Rocky Road ice cream. Good times. Although now in proof that I'm old, I really like butter pecan. <laughs> oh, is that the old guy ice cream or what? Anyway, speaking of Rocky Roads, businesses in several different industries are rescinding job offers and tightening hiring or even laying people off. Whoa, so much for the hottest labor market in the history of everything. We'll tell you more about that to come. Stick around. Armstrong. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Russia, it's digging, they're digging in and they're making slow gains. And this is looking like it's developing into a, a war of attrition. So the big challenge for Biden right now is keeping unity in the West. That's easier said than done. You're already seeing here in America how, how strong the argument is, particularly on the right, um, in the base, uh, I'm on the right, about not sending any more money to Ukraine. And we've got all these problems here domestically. Why are we sending $40 billion to Ukraine? They're going to have a lot more trouble when they come back to the Hill again to get something else for Ukraine. This is becoming a more and more difficult issue. So they're trying to hold it together. And it's really fragile. It's very, very fragile, this coalition that they've got together. <laughs> thought that was a good clip from Jonathan Swan, who was on Fox News Sunday. Jonathan Swan of Axios, one of the best journalists kicking around these days. Uh, it's a good point. We'll have to see where that goes. Uh, speaking of guns, 
Oh, that uh, that the job market stuff coming up next segment. If you're considering, I don't know, going into work and telling your boss exactly what you thought of him or her because, hell, they can't fire you. They're desperate for people. Eh, you might want to hold off for a week or so. See how things shake out. Uh, there are definitely signs uh, that, like the real estate market, the job market may be uh, turning slightly. That to come. Love this. Note from Reno Joe talking about the Second Amendment. Uh, which was the big case last week before the overturning of Roe v. Wade and uh, obviously before today's announcement that the football coach gets to pray at the 50-yard line if he wants. And he was sacked for that um, because he wouldn't stop. So uh, at any rate, the Supreme Court has once again ruled quite sensibly there's not a freedom from religion. You just can't sponsor it per se. But if a guy wants to pray after a football game, let him pray. For God's sake, no pun, in, no pun intended. Uh, so this is a note from Reno Joe about the Second Amendment. Uh, last week, Jack said the language of the Second Amendment was still unclear. And it is to some people, to a lot of people. But uh, he writes, whereas I usually agree with Jack, I most humbly supplicatingly suggest that the Second Amendment is actually pretty clear in light of historical context and the basic function of the Bill of Rights. I thought this was beautifully written. I think the crux of the matter is always the phrase well-regulated militia. People get hung up on that because in modern usage, it implies government control and restrictions. Some say, if everyone is in the militia, how is an 18-year-old shooter with an assault weapon well-regulated? In the parlance of the day, regulated meant supplied and trained. Communities would store ammunition in public armories. Some local laws required people to keep a certain amount of ball and powder on hand at all times. Militias were usually called out a couple of times a year for training. Because of their recent experience with the Crown, the founders were understandably fearful of a standing army, but they knew that they needed some sort of defense. The state militias were the best answer. They were composed of grassroots citizens. The militias were a safeguard against a professional army controlled by a potential future tyrant. The implication is the individual citizen has a basic ultimate right to defend himself, and the federal government itself is necessary. Uh, The militia is simply the collective effort of a lot of individuals. Again, many now assume the militia was basically there to fight Indians and foreign aggressors, but the founders were also worried about internal fighting, one state dominating another, or the federal government attacking a state. A well-regulated militia means supplied and trained. Don't worry, if you're not satisfied yet, we're not done. Dot, dot, dot. Militia being necessary to the security of a free state means they needed some form of defense, but they didn't want a standing army. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is where people get confused about the role of the militia. And I've got to admit, this is the part that hangs me up sometimes. So I'm glad Joe wrote this note. Everything enumerated in the Bill of Rights is conferred to individuals, not groups, not organizations, not states. More importantly, none of our rights exist because it serves the purposes of the government. None of them. They are God-given or natural rights you were born with. The government was instituted to protect those rights, not the other way around. That, that part is undeniably true. Now, he's, he writes, I don't want to over-egg the pudding, but we have to discuss the very nature of the Bill of Rights, Ian Bremer. Sorry, I should have warned you, Michael. I thought you had that one at your fingertips. Remember, the Bill of Rights doesn't grant you anything. It's a list of restrictions on what the government can do to you. Some say that owning guns wasn't really a right. It was just a necessity for arming a militia before the advent of the military-industrial complex. So once we didn't need militias anymore, your right to own a gun vanished. This would be like the founders writing, a government press being necessary for a free state, the right of free expression will not be infringed. Oh, but since we have professional journalists now, uh, we don't need you amateur pundits anymore. You never 
never really did have freedom of speech. After all, go home and shut up. No, it doesn't work that way. The Second Amendment is a right of the individual to be armed. The militia is just a collective effort by many individuals. The soccer moms don't like hearing this because it sounds really messy and scary. Hey, I know some gun-toting soccer moms, sir. Let's not be tossing cliches about. Anyway, putting that aside. I I think that you may be over-egging the pudding a bit. Maybe I like my pudding really, really eggy, Ian. Huh? It's my right. Anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, the uh, the soccer mom, scary and messy. Yeah. Ah, but the Second Amendment is basically a right to defend yourself against a potentially unrepresentative, tyrannical federal government. From the very beginning, the issue was always a safeguard against an abusive, centralized power and the people's right to resist it. That is true. The founders thought that was a very real possibility. Some still do. Voting can't remove a tyrant, but arms can. I call this one man, one vote, one gun. One man can't change the government with one vote, but voting collectively with millions of others, he can, as long as it's a legitimate government. Despite what the January Sixers say, one man or even a small group of men can't change the government by armed insurrection. Just ask Buffalo Hat Guy. But if it came to it, God forbid, millions of armed people could resist a coup or an invasion or an illegitimate government. He apologized for the length of the email. I thought it was actually quite uh, beautifully put and concise. Um, So, again, every single natural right listed in the Bill of Rights, and the amendments to the Constitution, for that matter, are natural rights. They're rights you have to have as a free person, otherwise you're not a free person. And a collective of those people with those rights are mentioned uh, as a militia. Uh, that's a pretty good ex- explanation of it, and I appreciate it. You know, I- I'm reminded of, I absolutely love the the quote that Tom McClintock threw at us. I'm going to have to re-listen to the podcast uh, to remember who said it exactly. But it was that notion that um, you can't just rely on experts and scholars. Because the, the priest sees sin everywhere, the, the soldier sees enemies everywhere, danger. Um, I, was, uh, I had a conversation with a... Uh, friend of mine who's a doctor he's a urologist and he mentioned that there is not a what was the specialty epidemiologist or um uh, a guy who's who studies uh, tiny bugs microbiologists maybe there's not a microbiologist in america who would eat sushi to which i replied well he can shut up and keep his opinion to himself i love sushi and it hasn't done me any harm yeah, there are bugs, they're scared of it. But a guy who spends his career hunting out nasty little bugs that might conceivably hurt you, yeah, is so hyper-aware of them. He sees them to the exclusion of not everything else, but he, he they, they loom large in his mind. And sometimes, you know, constitutional experts are so steeped in this stuff, they're so knowledgeable that they have difficulty explaining it to people who don't share their common vocabulary. Um and so I guess I'm a big fan of uh, of, of the educated amateur. Uh, and, and the word amateur in French, as I've pointed out before, uh, is it, it translates roughly as someone who does something for love. In the English language, we look at the word amateur as not professional, as in a, a, a chump who's just playing at it. But the French had a, a slightly different view, a, a subtly different view. It's somebody who does something purely out of love of something. And if you love the Constitution, you love the country, and, and you're a good writer like Reno Joe here, 
I think your your opinion is absolutely worth hearing. And, Joe, I appreciate you sending that along. Well done, sir. So uh, the labor market is changing rapidly. You like the housing market and every other damn market, the energy market. Uh, maybe you ought to know about it. We'll uh, finish strong, including that info, coming up. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Will it start the radical left are constitutional anarchists. They're literally trying to change this country from top to bottom. They want to pack the court because they don't like this decision. They want to abolish the Electoral College so California and New York can pick the president in perpetuity. Uh, at the end of the day, they want to federalize elections, take it away from the states to make sure you have ballot harvesting and do away voter IDs. So these constitutional anarchists, here's my advice to you. Quit trying to burn down America and work like we did in the fields. Elect people who agree with you at the ballot box. 
Lindsey Graham there, obviously, and we have a bunch of uh, clips we want to get on before the end of the show. Just some really interesting and unique perspectives, or idiotic or whatever, but worthy of airing on the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, give me one more, Lindsey Graham, Michael, 35. What's going to be on the ballot box is $5 gas. You can't walk down the street without being attacked. Crime is rampant. We have broken borders. Uh, and then Great Graham POTUS in clip 36. I do not view abortion as a uh, um, as a choice and a right. I think it's always a tragedy, and I think that uh, it should be uh, rare and safe. And I think we should be focusing on how to limit the number of abortions, and they ought to be able to have a common ground and consensus as to do that. Perhaps you recognize the voice of that handsome young man. That was actually in 2000, 2006, Biden advocating serious limits on abortion. Of course, in 92, as we mentioned, he, he tried to get past a constitutional amendment to overturn Roe v. Wade. So it's funny how times change. Uh, do you remember Winsome Sears, the delightfully named and delightful uh, black gal elected uh, lieutenant governor of Virginia, along with Glenn Youngkin uh, as governor? She had some interesting thoughts in clip 37. 2019, 15,000 plus abortions were done. 46% of them were done by black women. Now, if the KKK had said we will pay for every black woman to have an abortion who wants one, we would say to ourselves, wait a minute, something's up. Why don't they want us to have our babies? But you see that we, we, we don't understand what's going on. And so we're losing so many uh, black lives that matter. Interesting. You do hear that a fair amount. Um the number of abortions among black women highly disproportional to the uh, population. Uh, Jonathan Swan on the electoral, uh, you know, effects of this in 38. So to the extent that they have an issue that can rev up their base, their base has been very depressed. Um, they've got probably the most uh, horrible political environment for Democrats in a decade. Um, and uh, this issue has been, to some extent, a life raft for them. So they're going to do a full court press on this. The vice president has a really prominent role in this. She's been meeting with um, pro-choice groups almost every week since that leak happened. And they're going to mobilize their political and outside infrastructure to get as much political bang for their buck as they can. And here's notorious bomb chucker and kitchen beer drinker Elizabeth Warren in clip number 52, Michael, 5-2. This court has lost legitimacy. They have burned whatever legitimacy they may still have had after their gun decision, after their voting decision, after their union decision. They just took the last of it and set a torch to it with the Roe versus Wade opinion. I believe we need to get some confidence back in our court and that means we need more justices on the united states supreme court an opinion so idiotic i don't even have the breath to refute it still trying the court packing thing then finally i think well maybe finally dan abrams on abc talking about uh, whether a bunch of other horrifying rulings ending gay marriage are about to come down it's difficult not to ask the question, what could be next? He puts it all out there, on the table, Justice Thomas. And while as a practical matter, it seems the court doesn't have the votes to overturn in any of those other areas, if you read the reasoning of the court, 
it's hard not to say that Justice Thomas's assessment is more intellectually consistent. So while as a practical matter, I don't think you're going to see any of these other areas a change constitutionally, as an analytical matter, it's tough to say, doesn't Justice Thomas's reasoning apply? You know, it's interesting. Dan Abrams is a smart guy. Uh, you heard him hedging a lot. It's tough to say. One is tempted to say. One must say, uh, because anybody who carefully reads the decisions and, and Thomas's concurrence, but knows that they're not going there for actually very specific constitutional reasons. So it's it, tough to say that. No, it's pretty easy to say. There's no freaking way birth control's coming to an end. There is zero chance gay marriage is done. Zero. They're not coming for your interracial marriage either. Uh, Clarence Thomas, ironically married to a white woman, but um, it's not going to happen. But that's such good clickbait. They just can't resist. Um, and then let's see, how long is that? Give me finally, Michael, give me the Sarah Sanders clip, 56. We'll, we'll end on that one. We will make sure that when a kid is in the womb, they're as safe as they are in a classroom, the workplace a nursing home, because every stage of life has value. It's a pretty good expression of that point of view by Sarah Sanders. So uh, moving on, uh, just want to squeeze in. We had a bunch of good clips we didn't get to today, and now we did. Uh, more companies are starting to rescind job offers, according to the Wall Street Journal. Businesses in several industries are rescinding offers they made just a few months ago and assign the labor market, the tightest labor market in decades, may be showing cracks. Now, some of these companies, you might say, well, yeah, they're cutting back and they're cutting back. I know, but the general economy, I don't know. But the list is fairly long. Twitter, uh, real estate company Redfin, uh, Coinbase have rescinded offers, yanked them back that they'd already made. Employers in other pockets of the economy are pulling offers, too, including some in insurance, retail marketing, consulting, recruiting services. Uh, at the same time, many companies have signaled a more cautious hiring approach. From Netflix to Peloton to Carvana, Facebook's Meta, Uber, warn they're dialing back hiring plans. And though the labor market, uh, the labor market remains strong overall, the unemployment rate's about 3.6. But caution in hiring shows executives are finding it tougher to predict the next 12 months in the economy, according to hiring managers and recruiters. When a company revokes a job offer, it indicates a company's business outlook has changed so quickly it has to undo hiring plans sometimes made weeks before. So do they think for sure things are changing drastically? I don't know if you could go there, but they don't know anymore. And I would say that reflects the way most of us feel about the economy for the next, uh, God knows, year, couple of years. I don't know anymore. We're all going to wait and see. It's Final Thoughts, boys. That'll do, boys. Soon we'll hear your comments. Entertain us. Give us closure. For the show is nearly done. Hmm. Stirring. And some nice harmonies. Here's your uh, host, me, Joe Getty, for final thoughts. Hey, let's get a final thought from everybody out on the crew. He's uh, pressing the buttons. He keeps us on the air, Michelangelo. Hey, Michael, what's your final thought for us? My final thought is I try to be really healthy today, eat really good. But then you mentioned Rocky Road ice cream. And, uh, yeah, I may have to get some ice cream today. So, so much. I'll start tomorrow. Be strong, my brother. Be strong. 
You can do it. You will not eat Rocky Road today, one day at a time. Young Alex is our behind-the-scenes producer. He has a final thought for us. Alex? I had the pleasure of seeing the new Elvis movie yesterday, and while I won't spoil anything, I thought Austin Butler was a great Elvis. Tom Hanks is a great bad guy. But they don't really look into who Elvis is as a person. It's told from Tom Hanks' bad guy side. Didn't love it. Six out of ten, but still worth the watch. Okay, entertaining. All right, fair enough. Uh, and not everything's going to be transcendent. Uh, Jack's taking a couple of days off to be with family. He's calling him when he can. Uh, my final thought, gosh, I had one, but when the drums started, it flitted out of my head. Uh, thanks for being here. Oh, there's so much misinformation. There's so many people who try to mislead you for their own profit. Do your best to see through it. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. No matter what side of whatever issue you're on. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Get yourself a Welcome to the Spicy Times t-shirt. Or grab the Armstrong and Getty On Demand podcast. God bless America. We'll see you tomorrow. Armstrong and Getty. Let's be clear. They're loco. They're locking up my toothpaste. It's 100 on the crazy meter. No, 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 no. No. What do we want to be? Losers? We're winners. I want winners. You're a loser. That's right. Words. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. <laughs> Are you sh- Yeah. But Mr. Speaker, it isn't enough to say sorry. I'm gonna call my lawyer. Gonna. It is over. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.